the reading of the scriptures from Romans chapter 8, verses 1 to 4. I invite you uh, to hear the word of God in reverence and also in faith from Romans chapter 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin He condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. The Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All of us have uh, seen pictures of joy on behalf of people that have been liberated. I think, you know, one of my favorites is uh, the sailor in Times Square, uh, the end of the war, kissing the nurse. She's bowed over and he's... Yeah, but again, just a time of celebration. Just imagine the incredible death and destruction, and there is a time to celebrate. Uh, I remember when I was in the army when the Berlin Wall fell. Imagine East and West now being able to come together. Incredible joy in Germany. And, and maybe in your life there's celebrations of of uh, marriage, of children, uh, the providence of God. Uh, But in all of these things, they all pale regarding our spiritual liberation based upon the work of the triune God. And based upon the work of the triune God, we have, present tense, we have the hope and assurance that the benefits are eternal. Our text this morning uh, is the reminder of the Apostle Paul that we are liberated from sin and death by the satisfaction of Christ, uh, followed by uh, life in the Spirit. If you think of the... uh, flow of the argument of the book of Romans. Uh, Paul is going to recapitulate the benefits of justification and then begin the theology of uh, sanctification uh, by the work of the Spirit. So Romans chapter 8 is going to be dominated by the work of the Spirit. Uh, My hope of assurance is that it is not a contingent work. It doesn't fall upon me to apprehend it. It's going to happen because the Spirit is God who is going to sanctify all for whom Christ gave His life upon the cross. Again, the greatest liberation in all the world. The liberation of the people of God from sin and death. And a time this morning to celebrate what God did for us. Uh, It is also contextually, I think, important to recognize that Romans chapter 7, Paul gives to us a rendering of his own psychological despair uh, because 
he can't win the battle of sin. I believe, as you know, that Paul is giving to us a testimony of someone who is not a Christian uh, because he tells us he's under the dominion of sin. He calls himself a wretched man. Christian uh, would not use language like that. Uh, He is, of course, theologically reminding us that the law is good. Uh, It's easy to get from uh, some of Paul's writings that the law is evil and we should forget it. Uh, We should uh, reject its role in our lives. Paul is recovering uh, that false notion for us in Romans chapter 7. But it is, I think, noteworthy of, of his despair in Romans chapter 7, verse 24. Wretched man that I am. And then the brilliance of the hope of liberation. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Of course, the answer is Christ. Uh, the answer is always Christ. Uh, but it's also life in the Spirit. Again, Romans chapter 8. I would remind you, uh, all over Christendom, the vast majority of Christians uh, do not have uh, the assurance of final salvation. Because in their theology, they believe that we can fall away from the faith. Uh, We can apprehend Christ, uh, we can apprehend the work of the Spirit, and then because of, obviously, uh, a lifestyle, perhaps, we can fall away and be lost again. They can't celebrate, That's what I'm trying to say. Because what Christ did upon the cross was not good enough, and what the Spirit did uh, coming in application of that work just fell short. I believe that that is totally an error. And I believe we we can have final and full assurance based upon what Christ has done upon the cross and the Spirit will faithfully apply it to take us to the end. Much of what I've just said is captured in the rest of uh, the book of uh, Rome, Romans chapter 8, but nonetheless, uh, in our text this morning, in verse 1, we have the assurance because justification totally negates the guilt and penalty of sin. So one of the reasons as Christians we can have the assurance because of what Christ did upon the cross. And so we begin with a conclusion. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now. Uh, He's making a theological link to the doctrine of justification. What is that link? There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's one of the reasons we can celebrate that emphatic declaration. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Condemnation is negated. It ends. It's over totally and finally because of the work of justification. Uh, this, This word condemnation is an antonym to justification in which the guilt and penalty of sin was totally removed by the sacrifice of Christ, thereby establishing our total pardon. The analog to no condemnation is that we are pardoned forever. 
generally at the, at the uh, end of uh, most presidential terms, president's elected, established in office, uh, at the end of his term, four years, uh, there's a flurry of what? There's a flurry of pardons, isn't there? Uh, everyone gets angry about those that are pardoned, and some people rejoice. It's, I always think it's kind of funny in a way, but that's just what a president can do. He can pardon men and women. And there's great rejoicing in some households. Think of our pardon through the work of Jesus Christ. And what it means for our final assurance in this declaration, there's no condemnation. Forever. It's been totally removed. If you attach the declaration to the work of Christ upon the cross, it means that the condemnation is totally negated, totally obviated, because Christ does forever. Christ does perfection. And what accrues to us is one of the greatest benefits of our salvation, establishing our assurance and hope of the faith, we will never come under condemnation again. Paid for by Christ. The basis of our pardon is Christ. And therefore, because of the doctrine of justification, we are accepted as righteous. Based upon His righteousness, not ours. And that's the dramatic reason that there's no condemnation. In the court of heaven, the righteousness of Christ charged to our account is the basis that we are pardoned forever and will never again come under condemnation. Again. That's a cause for celebration in our hearts and in the life of the church. In verses 2 to 4, we have assurance of liberation in the spiritual life that necessarily follows our justification. Justification is what Christ has done for us. And now in the coming of the Spirit, we have the theology of what uh, the Spirit of God is going to do in us. Uh, two very important prepositions to understand our salvation. Christ did something for us in imputing His righteousness to our account, and now the Spirit is going to do something in us. Not contingently. Just as I described for you a moment ago that Christ doesn't do contingency upon the cross, He does perfection, He does finality. It is, it is so with the Spirit of God. He is going to come and lead the sons of God to eternal glory. I mean, what a great reason to party. It's established forever. The application of the eternal decrees of God being affected by the application of the Spirit. Uh, the reason of the finality or the assurance of our liberation, notice verse 2, 4, it's a reason... And the reason is the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. 
greatest liberation of all time, be set free. Uh, the word law here speaks to a governing principle or rule of life. And the Spirit's rule for the sons of God is life, spiritual life now. And it means that absolute glory is assured when Christ comes again to gather His own. The Spirit is the origin and source. Uh, the text, and we've looked at this text a number of times, uh, but the text is an allusion. If you have your Old Testament, uh, Paul is making an allusion or connection to uh, the prophet Ezekiel. Uh, and the 37th chapter. So Ezekiel 37. Uh, we oftentimes uh, know this as the uh, vision of the valley of dry bones. Uh, the immediate context is the promise that God is going to restore Israel from the Babylonian captivity. The more distant and intense fulfillment is the spiritual life of Christians. Let's look at Ezekiel 37, verse 5. Thus says the Lord God to those, uh, pardon me, to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you that you may come to life. Skip down to verses 9 and 10. Then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may come to life. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they came to life and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. So what the Spirit is going to do in the life of the church, infuse spiritual life. It's very interesting in this text, there's an interplay between the word breath and spirit. In the Greek text, those are the same words. It's also an allusion uh, I believe, uh, to book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 2. And verse 7. The Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being. Very interesting that uh, the Apostle John uh, uses the Ezekiel text in the context of the spiritual empowerment of his apostles to effect the Great Commission. Again, John chapter 20. Some people refer to this as the Great Commission in the Gospel of John. John chapter 20, verses 21 to 22. Jesus therefore said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Analog to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Coming of the Holy Spirit in power. To empower the church to effect the Great Commission. Carrying the Gospel throughout all the world. Gathering the people of God. And the rule of life here has set us free from the rule of sin and death because we have life. We've been liberated and the penalty and power of sin. And we've been liberated from to a life of spiritual life, having been set free. 
The dominion of, of sin and death has been broken. The government, if you will, dethroned. And this liberation was accomplished by Christ. Because he does perfect, we can celebrate. Because he doesn't make mistakes, we can celebrate. Because he loses none of all that the Father has given me, we can have joy in our hearts. Now and forever. Great picture, if you will, of the unity of the Trinity, all working in glorious harmony. And uh, we we commemorate and celebrate this work uh, in many different ways in our church: the singing of hymns, uh, but certainly in the celebration of the sacrament, of the Lord's table, to celebrate the great work of the triune God. Uh, The legal work accomplished by Christ sets in motion the moral change by the Spirit. The Spirit will take all those for whom Christ gave His life, infuse grace into their hearts. It's a very important word, infuse. When we speak of the doctrine of justification, we use the word impute because Christ imputed His righteousness to His people. But the Spirit is going to come and take those for whom Christ did that and infuse grace and spiritual life in their hearts. Again, the shift theologically from justification to sanctification, the work of Christ for us to the work of the Spirit in us. And so the Spirit's going to enable us to deal with the power of sin. Great liberation. It won't beat us. It won't exercise dominion over us. Yes, it's a struggle. I understand that. All of us are still fallen. We still struggle with it. We still have the vestiges of the fall of our forefather Adam. But the Spirit has now come to work within us to give us the victory based upon the victory of the cross. Paul is going to expand upon this by reviewing that the Mosaic Law was unable to accomplish this. He says it was weak according to the flesh. The law has no power, as you know, only has the ability to condemn has no power. Christ and Spirit have power. And they give it to God's people. The word unable has profound significance. It means that all religious works cannot save. Their morality rejected. It may be good in the courts of men. We may celebrate it in the daily newspaper or uh, some, some rag that celebrates accomplishments in society. And I don't denigrate that. It's important. But means nothing in the court of heaven. Only the work of Christ is accepted there. Because God the Father only accepts perfection, and that is what God the Son does. And then, coming into chapter 8, 
the perfections of the work of the Spirit. Incredible reason to celebrate. And trust in God's grace and time, we will, we will get to the rest of the chapter. The inability of mankind is total and absolute with one exception. God is able. It's His divine ability that we celebrate. And the great celebrations that I mentioned earlier, VE Day, VJ Day, the tearing down of the Berlin Wall, celebrating, if you will, political, military accomplishments. That's chump change when you come to liberation from sin and death. Greatest reason in the world to celebrate uh, that which... uh, Father, Son, and Spirit have done. That God is able. We had no power. But God is omnipotent. He's all power. He acts to save His own. What the law could not do, He did. And therefore, we must and should celebrate. Because He does. He did this by sending His Son. Humanity and deity of Christ here is on full display. He came... As the God-man in the Incarnation, He took upon Himself human nature, absent the original sin. Man is fallen. He identified with our weakness and inability. In His humanity, He represented us. With His deity, He defeated sin and death. His deity is the infinite value of His sacrifice. Uh, The phrase in the text for sin references a sacrifice of satisfaction or propitiation respecting the justice of God. Again, to use the words of the Apostle Paul, we were under condemnation. He satisfied justice to lift that word off of us because now there is no condemnation. And now we have the Spirit who works within our hearts. God judged the humanity of Christ. The condemnation, of course, embraces the violence of the cross because He was condemned for us upon the cross. Because He is an infinite person, He satisfies the demands of infinite justice. He made payment for us. Because He was divine, His sacrifice was efficient to satisfy, and because He was divine, God the Father was divine, accepted that sacrifice. All throughout his earthly life, forces of evil and religion were set upon him to compromise him and to take him down. They were unable. He won. Thank God. His victory is a cause for celebration. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21. He made Him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Furthermore, His atonement secures the blessings of the Spirit as the agent to subdue sin in our hearts and to provoke us to a righteousness inherently our own. He doesn't leave us alone. He's retired to heaven. He dispatches the Spirit as an empowerment to win the battle in our own hearts. In the midst of this titanic struggle with sin in our hearts, 
we have the power of the Spirit. Christ doesn't say, well, you know, I'll keep my fingers crossed. Good luck. I hope you make it. No. That's the language of humanity. The language of deity is he was finished. The work is over. The Spirit will come and apply all the benefits of the atonement. Not maybe, will. Certainty, absoluteness, because that's what the work of the triune God does. It's very interesting to me, again, referenced earlier that a vast majority of Christendom cannot have assurance because in their theology they can fall away. If they just don't do good enough, they can fall away. And if you think about it, uh, they really can't have the joy of an eternal salvation. They cannot celebrate the certainty of the work of the atonement. We can. And we do. And we will. This beautiful day in our service. But it's also something that braces another error of some churches. Uh, And that is, yes, Christ purchases, but the Spirit, if you don't lay hold of His work, you may or may not be sanctified. I would affirm to you, when God the Son and God the Spirit work, they work certainty. They work necessity. The Spirit will necessarily sanctify the sons of God. For all those whom Christ imputed His righteousness, the Spirit will infuse in their hearts the power to win. And again, if you know anything about the rest of Romans chapter 8, certainly the great questions that break out in the verses that close that chapter. It amplifies the certainty of our victory. Not contingently. Not if we just do good enough. No. We have Father and Son and Spirit. And we see it, uh, we see this in the purpose clause of verse four of Romans again. Chapter 8. In order that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. The substitutionary atonement of our Savior fulfilled the righteous demands of the Mosaic law. Nothing was left. The victor worked to total satisfaction. It occurred upon the cross. The application is therefore not in doubt. It's therefore certain. If you look at your text, the requirements of the law might be fulfilled. It's a purpose clause. It's also in the passive voice. The Spirit of God is going to act upon us to make it happen. He fulfilled every requirement. By the way, in application, this obviates self-atonement. Most of religion... It's the doing good works to 
please God. On this Sunday morning in most every Catholic church, or perhaps I should say every Catholic church, uh, the priest is uh, offering a propitiatory sacrifice for the saints. In the words of John Murray, we do not repeat perfection. What he did upon the cross was final, absolute, certain, never to be repeated, only to be gloried in and celebrated. And the Son worshipped because of what he did. means that future sins do not create additional liability for us. And the Spirit of God is going to come and infuse righteousness. Battle. I don't know if you, uh, those of you that are homeowners have ever had the joy where um, the agency that lended you money, uh, having uh, completed your, your term and met every payment, uh, sends the deed back to you of your home. And I remember this happened to me once and vaguely remember that stamped on top were the words paid in full. That's what Christ did for us upon the cross. Paid in full. What about the rest of the journey? The Spirit's going to come and work within us to lead us to the end. And then, of course, the greatest victory celebration of all eternity, the marriage feast of the Lamb. Uh, obviously, there's a reference here to our walk in the Spirit. That we do not walk according to the old man. Reference to Adam and the fall. We walk according to the Spirit. It's the clarity of the moral necessity that follows the legal work of Christ upon the cross. Let me say that again. Moral necessity. Spirit's going to come and work out a righteousness inherently our own by His power. The imputed righteousness of Christ saves us. but The Spirit of God is going to sanctify us and work within us and by His infusion, secure moral renewal. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 10. And have put on the new man, or new self, who is being renewed in a true knowledge according to the image of the One who created him. We're going to be totally restored. Total restoration according to the image of God. What Adam lost in the garden is going to be recovered for us by Son and Spirit. Reference to this in a beautiful picture. Revelation chapter 19 and verse 8. It was given to her, the church, to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean. The fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. How did they come by those righteous acts? Imputed righteousness of Christ and the infusion of grace and power by the work of the Spirit. Total restoration. Total renewal. In the greatest celebration of all eternity, the wedding feast 
Um, I know y'all have been to weddings. Most of them, I can't say all of them, but most of them are followed by a time of celebration. Party and dancing and meals and introduction of Mr. and Mrs. Restoration of the image of God in fallen humanity. That's what we have the assurance of. It will happen. will occur. We will be there because of Father, Son, and Spirit. As men made new, we are working out, again, a righteousness inherently our own. Uh, the verb walk in our context, uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 4, uh, references conduct. The Spirit's going to infuse righteousness to change our conduct. Christ changed our legal standing before the court of heaven. Uh, the Spirit of God will change our moral conduct by His work in our hearts. Uh, it's evidence, evidence as uh, effect is related to cause, that our hope is genuine and our victory certain, based upon Father. Son and Spirit. You see, the failure of most churches is they base our victory or absence thereof because we can fall away based upon our work. I, I, I'm not undermining that we, we work out because the Spirit of God works in. But the cause of our celebration is Father, Son, and Spirit. And we will celebrate this morning the sacrament of the Lord's table. Uh, it's, it's an occasion in time to celebrate. To celebrate all of the benefits of the, of the new covenant based upon the work of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. That those benefits will accrue to us by virtue of the accomplishments of the Father and the Son and the Spirit. Uh, if you think about uh, the sacrament of the Lord's table, uh, the word communion is oftentimes used as a reference to the sacrament. Uh, word communion speaks to our fellowship with Christ, our Savior. We commune with Him. He comes to the meal as host. As host. And we come to remember uh, the provisions and to fellowship with Him in great hospitality and celebration. A background, of course, of what is another great liberation in the Old Testament. The Passover meal, which signified Israel's redemption from Egypt and Pharaoh. The sacrament of the Lord's table eclipses the Passover meal. Because the redemption is greater. The one was political and military. Ours is total certainty, absolute redemption, and the guarantee of final victory. So we celebrate when we eat and drink. There is, of course, an important distinction, and that is the sign of the elements of the Lord's table. What is signified by the sign 
is the work of our redemption, the benefits of the new covenant, including our spiritual nourishment and growth in grace. What apprehends those benefits is faith. It's always faith. We trust. Uh, we, we have the assurance that what God has done is sure and certain. There's nothing in the sign. But there's everything when we apprehend those benefits by faith. I would remind you that uh, the Apostle Paul uh, reminds us of the importance of preparation. First uh, Corinthians chapter 11, verse 28, Paul enjoins us to examine ourselves uh, to make sure that we know Christ as our Savior and we are not living in some known sin for which we are unrepentant. If either of those apply to you, then again, this, you should pass the elements uh, by, not take. Uh, Heidelberg Catechism, question 81. For whom is the Lord's Supper instituted? Answer, for those who are truly sorrowful for their sins and yet trust that these are forgiven them for the sake of Christ and that their remaining infirmities are covered by His passion and death and who also earnestly desire to have their faith more and more strengthened and their lives more and more holy. Very quickly, a, a biblical warrant uh, for uh, the Lord's table, uh, the Gospel of John uh, and the sixth chapter. John chapter 6 and 35th verse. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall not hunger. And he who believes in me shall never thirst. And that's why we come to the great host to celebrate. Uh, this service is open to all who confess Christ, uh, been baptized, and who are not, again, under church discipline and not living in some known sin for which they are unrepentant. But we come out of joy. We come to celebrate. Uh, we come to fellowship with our Savior and by faith apprehend. Uh, as I uh, break the bread and the elements are passed to you, I would ask that you uh, hold the elements until which time all are served and they will, we will partake together. We will, we will, if you will, celebrate together the unity of the church, the accomplishments of Christ. Let's prepare our hearts. Our Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for the bread of heaven, for our forgiveness, for the grace that keeps us safe. Bless us individually and corporately as we partake to signify that we belong to Thee now and forever. Make us full that we might go away strengthened all the more to live for Thee and for Thy great and glorious kingdom. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. As I uh, pass the service of, uh, of the cup of the new covenant, I remind you that in the center there is wine, in the periphery there is grape juice that each may partake in the freedom of their own traditions. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, to hold the cup uh, when you've been served, uh, because we will drink together, uh, to ponder uh, the reality that Christ drank the cup of judgment for us that we will never drink that cup. We will, we will continue to drink uh, the cup of the new covenant. Uh, 
and that because we have believed and hoped in Him, we will never thirst throughout all eternity for all of the work that He has done for us. Uh, again, let's uh, prepare our hearts to receive and to uh, partake of the cup of the new covenant. Our Heavenly Father, we uh, come with hearts uh, full of joy and celebration because it pleased the Savior to drink the cup of judgment, thereby satisfying the guilt of sin, engaging that we no longer can ever be condemned. We're thankful that He drank the cup of judgment to remove the penalty of the fall and the penalty of our own personal failures. And so, there is no condemnation for us. And this, therefore, is a cup of celebration, a cup of the new covenant, a cup to acknowledge the benefits and to have joy of our new life and hope. And Lord, as we partake, refresh us and bless us individually and corporately that we might shine as lights in a fallen world and so testify that we belong body and soul, to the great kingdom of our blessed God and the victory and hope and assurance of eternal life. Because of Christ our Redeemer, in whose name we pray, amen.